welcome to a bonus episode of the Undead Wookiee podcast. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres, because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a bonus episode. Um, I was very fortunate to sit down with the... Uh, wonderful and friend of the show, writer and director, Mr. Andrew Jones, and talking about some of his uh, upcoming films and just general chit-chat about uh, cinema and film and where we're at in terms of lockdown and all those different things. So um, here's my chat with Andrew. I hope you enjoy. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by the one, the only, the Welsh master of the macabre, the one, the only, friend of the show, Mr. Andrew Jones. How the devil are you, sir? Yeah, good, thanks. <laughs> um, it's strange times, man. It's very strange yeah. times. Like we were just saying before we started recording, we're, um, yeah, just sort of, uh, I think slowly, people are sort of slowly emerging at various points across the world, but... Um, what a funny time. What a strange yeah. times. How's lockdown been treating you? Yeah, pretty good. Just, uh, you know, been, uh, I've done a couple of things, a couple of podcasts, a couple of documentaries, all, all through Zoom. Um, you know, obviously that uh, that is one uh, avenue that's done well during this time, Zoom. I yeah. think everyone's uh, Zooming everything. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've done, a, done quite a few things uh, via that. Uh, spoke to a, a class in America of about uh, 50 or 60 people. It's like a, a film school. And um, you know, did that by Zoom. That was quite an interesting uh, experience. Getting a lot of uh, questions there and stuff. And um, yeah, so, you know, been trying to keep a, a little bit busy as much as I can. Yeah. I mean, my uh, my mother-in-law's taking it upon herself to sort of um, just bake and make cake and everything else. And yeah. I think, you know, um, I you know I had to go back to work. I had to go back to the day job sort of properly, even though I've been teaching sort of uh, online and sort of doing various things via sort of um, Zoom and Teams and Skype, you name it, and WhatsApp, you name it. Yeah. We've been, we've, education's been trying to work through everything, but we've been using like Teams a lot. Um, but I had to put... <laughs> I had to put my work trousers back on the other day, and that was like, uh, okay, yeah. time to put the Is fork there... down, you know. Yeah, they're a bit tight now. I got the same thing. <laughs> I could, um, I could <laughs> almost hear the button on my trousers going, hold, hold. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair, I mean, you are one man who does not like to sort of uh, sit still or, you know, not be busy at any point in time and you've still got you've got some amazing projects coming out um and uh, one of the ones that i'm really really excited to see um well actually there's a, you know obviously amargam as well i'm really excited to see that but actually is the um, you've got the the jonestown haunting um out and now i know it's got an american release already um and it's due a little bit uh, later on when did you say it was due in the uk yeah, I think it would be uh, August 17th. Um, it'd be predominantly, I mean, you can get the DVD on uh, Amazon, but uh, it'd be predominantly a, a streaming release because obviously at this <clears throat> moment in time, it's, uh, 
you know, mostly streaming rather than physical in the UK because the uh, the market's a little bit tough at the moment, obviously. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, just it came out um, very conventionally in the US, so it was on DVD and Walmart and things like that. So it's already out uh, over there. Um, but in the UK, August 17th, um, it'll be across uh, you know, Amazon streaming. And, you know, you can pick up the DVD if you want uh, from Amazon and things like that. Um, so yeah, it'll be August. So for the people who don't know, what's the what's the what's the gist of the Jonestown haunting? Well, basically, it's um, I, I see it as a big homage to this uh, this great movie. I I love it. It's uh, from about nineteen eighty eight, uh, Bad Dreams, oh. which was kind of um, categorised as a as a rip off of Nightmare on Elm Street three, but um, it was actually written I think before. But um, it was kind, of, you know, it was considered like a, a sort of ripoff of Nightmare Three. But I think it's a very unique film. It was actually uh, made by uh, Andrew Fleming, who did like The Craft. Yeah. Um, so it had uh, it had some good pedigree there. But um, I always loved that film uh, growing up, and um, I'm always interested in true crime. So um, when we were sort of commissioned to do some true crime films and um, one of the ones we managed to get um, commissioned was a Jonestown film. And, uh, so, you know, it could sort of combine the two interests there, you know. Um, and so the, the story is that uh, a survivor of the, the Jonestown massacre sort of goes back there. Uh, ten years later, and has to deal with her kind of uh, visions and trauma of uh, what happened to her. Yeah. Um, it's a it's an unusual kind of film because it's not out, you know. And some people would say this is a criticism, but I don't. It's um, it's not a full on horror film like a full blooded horror film. It's kind of a hybrid of uh, like a true crime drama with um, you know supernatural elements. Mm. And it's very psychological, and um, you know that that I thought was more interesting, you know, because um, you know, and and you know, perhaps a bit more tasteful as well, because you, you're dealing with a real life thing. So um, you know, you didn't want to, I didn't want to turn it into you know a gore fest or a, a jump scare fest mm, as yeah. such. I wanted to deal with uh, a character being haunted you know by experience you know by a psychological uh, you know experience uh, that was deeply disturbing so it was it's a bit more like that you know um so it, it's kind of the haunting elements are not conventional ones they're more psychologically what's disturbed there about the experience and um, it, it's quite surreal at times as a film but uh, so not for everyone but uh, you know, I'm certainly happy with how it turned out. I mean, looking at you know the, the trailer is great, and um, I think we spoke before that um, a, um, a while ago now. But um, you got is it William Meredith is playing Jim Jones, isn't he? Mm. And he's uh, he does a really good job, I think. I was just blown away because I mean, I like yourself, I'm I'm I've got a bit of a sort of um, I, I've got a bit of a sort of a minor obsession with true crime and things. Um, and particularly sort yeah. of um, 
cult and uh, you know it's sort of um, i'm quite interested in the idea of sort of cults and sort of you know these enigmatic leaders who just have this ability just have this, this sort of power and hold over people um yeah and i've seen quite a few different documentaries about jonestown and read some different you know a few books and things but william meredith as jim jones my god he he nails him he absolutely yeah. nails it to the way that he he stands and holds himself to yeah, his speech I mean, he's just he's just a what great performance yeah i mean it's um it's amazing uh some of his monologues i mean that's the only thing i think you know when you do something that's kind of genre um, you don't get quite sometimes i don't think the actors get the credit they should because um you know some genre stuff is critically not considered you know particularly classy so sometimes people miss some really good acting things and um you know he's one of uh, you know he, he did a great job and i think um you know he, he rattles in the movie he rattles through like these sermons that are taken from the real life guy and the inflections and the way that he puts it across is just spot on to the real life guy i think and um you know i think he should be more appreciated for that but um i always remember when uh, when we were doing some of these uh, monologues we got to one and i remember he came around to me and said uh, oh this one's uh, longer than all the rest as well and he goes you like to write do you because <laughs> <laughs> it was like so long and uh, it just made me laugh but it, then he would just go into this perfect take and and it was like you know we do it two or three times and it would just be spot on every time wouldn't miss a beat so you know he, he just really embodied that character and um you know it's a pity you know sort of low budget genre stuff doesn't get uh, the actors don't get as recognized sometimes no so, no uh, and i mean you mentioned like bad dreams and I think you know, in Bad Dreams, that um, David Lynch was the was the cult leader, wasn't he? Oh, Richard Lynch. Oh, Richard yeah, Lynch, yeah, not yeah. David Lynch. Richard Lynch, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, David Lynch, yeah, completely different, uh, <laughs> different person. <laughs> yeah, Richard Lynch. Now, I love Richard Lynch. I think he's a superb character. Yeah, actor. amazing. Um, and and again, I don't think he gets half the credit that he should have got for some of his performances because you know, just because I mean, he did a lot of sort of you know, he did a lot of films with Canon. Um, and of course, memorably using like um, Invasion USA with Chuck Norris, but again, he yeah. as like the the sort of because he's quite disfigured and burnt in the film, isn't he? He's bloody terrifying. I remember the trailer yeah. for that film as a kid, just frightening the shit out of me, and then getting yeah. to watch it. And I think sort of um, you know William Meredith in this, he he's got that similar sort of vibe to him, um, and like go, sort of when you listen to. And obviously, if you, you know you, when you're using like the actual speeches by Jim Jones, because he would go into like speeches that would last for hours, yeah. and sermons that would last for hours and hours and hours, and just like I said, it's, it's a great performance, and I think it's sort of, um, I think it definitely shows out, and I think you are right. I think sort of character, genre actors yeah. do need to get a bit more credit for that. Yeah, because uh, I mean that's the um, in the in the film there is a moment where. Um, uh, Liam as the character plays uh, tape, which is the real life um, Jonestown tape, um, wow. which they taped when they were, and we just used a snippet of it, 
this, it sounded the same as uh, so as William, you know. Um, so you know, we just wanted to inject a bit of the real life thing because it was, you know, so disturbing and it's you know kind of a true crime thing and. Uh, you know, he really, yeah, completely captured the, the essence of the real life guy. But, you know, obviously that is quite unsettling because, you know, the real life guy is was quite a, um, you know, fire and brimstone kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember sort of, um, you know, reading about sort of um, just some of it and, and actually listening to some of his, there was a great podcast um, that deals specifically in cults. I can't remember the name of it now, but it'll come to me by the. I remember by the end of the show, and they were playing some of his stuff, and it's just, and you know they had like um, they had a recording where he brought this young couple up on stage, who been caught having a bit of a cutch, um, and just berating <laughs> them for hours and hours and hours. It's just sort of um, just terrifying. How much um, research did you do? Um, into uh, into Jonestown. Yeah, well, I, I read uh, a couple of books. Um, some of them very thick, and um, you know, sort of looked at a lot of documentaries as well. I was always interested in the you know the case uh, before I even made the film, anyway. So was very aware of uh, what it was. Um, in in the film, we do um, introduce some sort of, uh, well, what some people might call, like, you know, some of the more conspiracy angles around it. Yeah. Just presenting them as, um, you know, towards the end of the film as, uh, you know, as you can make your mind up about that. Um, You know, because some of the things I read were, um, you know, of that bent. So, um, you know, I uh, kind of put some of that in it just to be, a little bit different and introduce new ideas into it because there's been a lot of different documentaries that um, tread the same path so um, you know as good as they were yeah so um, you know we introduced uh, some story elements that were in some books that uh, maybe aren't uh, mainstream um, so there's a you know it could be seen as a little bit of a, a controversial uh, approach um, to both a horror film and to a, a true crime thing, but um, you know, I think you need to be a little bit different sometimes. And, and you know, we did the same with the Manson film that we made. Yeah. That, um, there'd been a, there'd been a lot of Manson films, so we tried to do something a little bit different with it, in the sense of uh, having dual timelines between the nineties and the sixties, and for better or for worse, I just think it's it's good to try something a bit different with, if you're going to do something that's been done before, just, just try and do something a bit different with it, even, you know, if people don't resonate with it, that's okay, but, um, you know, it's, I think it's important to, you know, take a little bit of a different approach if you can, you know? Yeah, and I mean, do you think? I mean, I often find that actually the, the line between horror and true crime is very, very thin. And yeah. th- there's a, the number you know, when you read some of these true true um, crime cases, they do sort of very, very quickly cross over into the stuff of just of of horror. I mean, you you read any of like. Um, the stuff with Bundy or Gacy or you know Dharma, 
or any of those guys or you know even like you know even some of the cult cases that are out there you know it's sort of um the, the lines are blurred between the two very very and sort of particularly because i think manson jim jones um you know all of these type of cases they have become sort of almost mythologized over the years um yeah and you know they're ripe for filmmaking Was it think, a cha- uh, oh sorry go on yeah, I think a, a lot of the, you know, the bandy stuff and the, sometimes the films go into sort of slasher territory and, you know, when we did a bandy film, we decided to make it, you know, a bit more about his discussions with the FBI and things like that. So, because uh, it, it was just a bit more psychologically interesting and that does disappoint some horror fans, I will admit, because... Um, you know, they sometimes they just want to see some action. You know, yeah. in this, you know, in horror cases, you know, invented kills and things like that. So, you know, I'll admit sometimes it, when you take a different approach, you do disappoint some of the hardcore gore hounds. You know, um, who expect to see something different, uh, like a, a blood path. But, yeah. Um, you know, I I think you've got to just go with your instinct and try and do something a little bit different and the people who get it get it and those who don't don't so yeah and i mean i think just gotta accept that. from a filmmaker's point of view as well you know it, it must be it must it, it must have been sort of quite refreshing to sort of move in to sort of be able to sort of tackle a subject area like jonestown or bundy um and sort of not you know and sort of not feel that you have to go down the horror trope, the heavy horror trope, and just sort of experiment and try different things. Yeah, I mean, I think the the genre is broad like that anyway. You can, you know, you can sort of veer between different tones, I I think, in the horror genre, because, you know, it's such a broad definition and, you know, you get different kinds of films and it is a a good genre for that, you know. Um, I think it all all comes down to you know, what people bring to it, if they're open-minded about how this is going to be presented, then, you know, they'll probably enjoy the film more than if they go in with, like, a, a definitive expectation that it should be like this, you know. So, um, you know, something like Jonestown, is uh, the, the film we've made, is kind of, uh, you know, interesting if you just go into it thinking, well... You know, I'm just going to be open-minded to this. And it does get quite weird towards the end. There's some very weird imagery and uh, things like that that I don't think everyone is going to get. But, um, you know, that's that's okay. You've got to try, try these things and try to be a, a little bit different in your approach. You know? I mean, it's, it is interesting when you do start delving into sort of, you know, like um, the dream logic as well, particularly, if, you know, with, with sort of a more psychological uh, film. I think there are some people who really sort of embrace that and there are some people who, who, who do sort of kick against it. But I think from, from a viewer's point of view is when you embrace those type of films, that's where you get the most out of them. Where you sort Yeah, of, I think no just be open-minded to it. And I mean, what were the challenges making this film? Um, it's always, uh, it was one of the last ones we did in, in our short schedule. So it was like an eight day shoot. And uh, that's always the most challenging thing, the lack of time. Because I mean, 
you know, lack of money too in terms of like being low budget. But that's, I think it's more the lack of time because you always kind of, um, you know, run out of time in the sense of, so so what that means is like when you make a low budget film, you, you tend to feel like some sequences you nailed it and then some you just didn't have enough time to fully realize it. Mm. Um, you know, whereas if you had like a 30 day shoot, you probably could have realized the whole vision a little bit more fully. But um, but that's something you, you learn to accept when you make films the way I do, which is quickly and, and cheaply. Um, you've got to accept that, you know, you nail some sequences and you'll be happy with like, you know, some sequences and then others you just feel like you run out of time on them. Um, and that, that that's okay. You come to accept that, uh, but you just got to adapt to it, basically, and um, you know, kind of work around it at the time. So, uh, you know, if you feel like you're not going to have enough time to fully do this uh, the way it's written, then you need to, you know, sort of think on your feet and, you know, sort of rewrite it in your head on the day and just come up with something else that moves the story or characters along, but is a bit more simplified. So it's always about about that kind of thing you know if it was up to me I probably would have gone even more surreal if I had the time and done more sequences like that but um, you know you have to accept you can only do x amount in in eight days so uh, <laughs> that was the challenge but um you know our subsequent film then uh, after Jonestown we had slightly longer um, to you know I think it was we now have like four extra days, so uh, we shoot them in like 11 or 12 days rather than so <laughs> that feels like a quite a bit longer, even though in industry terms that's still a incredibly short shoot. You know? So that's so you did so that is that the haunted haunted Amargan, the haunted Amargan castle. Yeah, so um, a killer next door and a haunting. Uh, the Margham Castle, the, the two films we did after, um, those those were like uh, 11, 12 day shoots. Um, so yeah, we kind of, um, we have a little bit more time now, but not a lot, but uh, it does help, you know, we've got like four extra days yeah. to shoot. It does feel like a lot after shooting like so many films for like seven or eight days. Yeah. It uh, yeah. feels like a lot more. The luxury of the of four days. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's I, low budget for it. I mean, I mean, looking at, I mean, I was lucky enough. I got to come down and sort of, you know, spend a bit of time on, on the on the set with you guys and see what you were up, what you were doing. Um, and I, you know, Margam Castle is an amazing place anyway. Um, it's a yeah. very very impressive um, impressive building, and it, to have it as your set. And you play, you know, be yeah. able to play in that in that sort of in that yard, um, must be a filmmaker's dream. But one of the things that blew me away is the cast. Is the cast yeah. that you got? You know, you got Carolyn Monroe, um, Darren Nesbitt. You got uh, Vernon Dobachev. I mean, both of them were yeah. uh, Vernon Dobachev and Carolyn Monroe. They were both in Bond films. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And some Hammer stuff. You got you, you, you got a great cast. A great, great, great cast. Yeah, we were we were lucky because um, you know we hooked up with Thomas Bowenton. Uh, he's basically manages you know all these uh, distinguished uh, veteran actors, and um, 
you know, he sort of uh, helped us put together uh, the cast for it, and uh, he was great. Um, you know, it was, it was just a, a lovely privilege because everyone was nice and, uh, you know, everyone was so professional, and, you know, that's what you want, you know. Um, it was, you know, certainly challenging because obviously a, a lot of them, uh, you know, older and they're in a castle in the free freezing yeah. <laughs> evening yeah. in November because we shot it last November. And uh, so that's very challenging, but, uh, you know, everyone pulled it off. And, um, yeah, we only, we had uh, four days, four, four evenings in, in Margam. Um, because obviously it, it is a bit pricey, um, yeah. <laughs> which you'd expect for such a, you know, hiring a whole castle. Yeah, castles um, don't come cheap. <laughs> so, yeah, no. So we uh, we managed to get it for four nights. And then um, we shot a lot of uh, things as well at a different um, place in Caldicott. Um, do you remember? I think it's... Uh, to remember the name, I can't remember the name, but it basically was a, a place in uh, Caldicott, which was like a, a medieval castle as well. So some of the rooms we shot there as well. Yeah. Um, and they were both haunted. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I was going to say, you know, um, in terms of sort of paranormal history, both sort of uh, Caldicott and because um, obviously Caldicott Castle is there um and you got you know a margam of both well known for um being a little bit active on the old paranormal front yeah yeah so it's uh, a few people had uh, i mean i i was i'm so busy uh, that i don't know it but um some people who had some downtime like some of the actors did have encounters you know spooky encounters um you know during the shoot um, which was, you know, they all handled it very well. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we, we did have, uh, we did have one thing that was, um, uh, my wife and I had a, a picture taken on the big staircase at Marsden. Yeah, and, beautiful um, staircase, beautiful. You know, we, we, yeah, we felt fine, but, um, apparently that's the most haunted area. And, um, after the picture was taken, uh, you could see there was like a face on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was like a psychic who uh, looked at it as well and kind of said, yeah, there's a presence in this picture and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, we kind of had a little bit of an encounter, but we didn't realize at the time it was just in the picture after we, uh, after we had it taken. But... Um, I really enjoyed shooting there because, um, you know, we had the run of it in the evenings when it shut to the public mm. uh, in Markham. And um, it was just very atmospheric. It was very hammer horror because you're in like a gothic uh, castle with these uh, well-known actors and, um, you know, uh, veteran actors. And I imagine that's how it would have felt, you know, shooting hammer movies, you know. Yeah, and obviously we we had a, a few people who've been in them. Um, obviously, uh, Caroline uh, Jane Mero, who's in uh, Hands of the Ripper, she played uh, the blind girl in there. Great film. That? Yeah. Um, and um, 
you know, we had uh, Judy Matheson as well, who was in uh, Twins of Evil and yeah. Lust for a Vampire. And, and uh, you know, we had uh, other great people from, uh, you know, other areas like, um, you know, Mads Cadal, who's uh, been in a lot of uh, Gareth Heaven stuff. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Sarah D, who's been in Ben Wheatley's movies and stuff like that, and uh, Simon Bamford, who's been in the Hellraiser films. And, yeah, I mean, it's a tremendous know, it was cast. Just, uh, yeah, it's just a, a cast of like you know cult names, and um, you know it was just great. Everyone was uh, was superb, and uh, it's probably one of our you know best sort of experiences where you've got like a fantastic location that uh, we could never have afforded years ago and um you know we've only only managed to get like a location of a cast like that because you know we've done so many uh, films and they worked out so uh, we finally got a chance to uh, to do something with a sort of raised production value and uh, you know a good uh, sort of uh, known cast so that was uh really gratifying do you find there's a difference working between sort of actors of uh, the the sort of difference between working with actors of different generation so for example working with the likes of um jane merrow or caroline caroline monroe compared to sort of um you know mads or even derek um you know do you find there's a difference between these different styles of acting or there's a different approach that you have to take to directing them um some people have different styles, obviously. Some people, uh, you know, have different approaches to the work. So, you know, you understand that. But in, in general, um, you know, I always find that I'm not a dictator as a director. And I just feel like I'm a facilitator. So, you know, I, I don't feel the need to constantly give direction and talk all the time to someone you know we discussed the parts before uh, the shoot and discuss the ins and outs of everything before the shoot but then when you get on set it's more i feel like i'm more just a facilitator so you know actors have their approach and and do it and i'll just tell them if i feel like you know i need something different you know um i don't believe in talking for the sake of it and um so you know, it, and obviously when you cast someone and they write for the part, they, you know, they just come in and do it and kind of, um, you know, you only tweak and change something if, uh, you know, if they were way off base. But I haven't had a lot of that because I think you discuss it before the shoot and uh, so by the time you're on set, uh, there shouldn't be any debate. They, everyone knows what the gist of it is and you know just get on with it and you just tweak you know or just ask for something different if you feel like you know you can go a little bit further with it but um in general you know i just uh, you know with with you know veteran actors obviously there's there's certainly an assurance you know because they're so experienced mm. um, so you know they've uh they've seen it all before many times and so um you know you're not gonna need to uh, give them a lot of direction it's just a case of they come in and, uh, and do it and they're assured because they're very experienced and um but you know so so are a lot of uh you know younger actors too once they know what the approach is uh 
you know, they just come in and do it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. We're pretty lucky like that, you know, we've had uh, some really good casts who, uh, you know, they don't, uh, they never cause me any problems. <laughs> so, in terms of, like, filming in a place like Margam, logistically, um, how, how, you know, that must be an interesting challenge in itself, sort of, because obviously you're in a listed building. Um, yeah. Obviously, what were the challenges, you know, filming besides the cold? Because I got to remember, when I popped out, it was bloody freezing. So yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, it was very cold. But, like, the, the other thing is um, there is a lot of restrictions. So, for instance, you know, we wanted to light a lot of candles for atmosphere. But, you know, we could, you can't have an open flame in there for obvious reasons. They yeah. don't need to burn it down. Um so basically, you know, we have to get, you know, fake candles and, you know, try and make them look real. And um, so there, there is a lot of safety issues. And for instance, you know, uh, if there's anything that you wanted to do in there, like, you know, we originally planned for some bigger stunts. Yeah. And we couldn't do, do them because, you know, there would have been a, a big uh, safety insurance issue. Um, mm. So, you know, you have to be aware of that when you're dealing with, uh, you know, listed buildings and historical buildings like that. Um, But, you know, you kind of expect that if you're, uh, particularly if you're a low budget uh, production who can't, you know, afford uh, to make provisions uh, to do anything too dangerous anyway. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't want to endanger anyone anyway but uh so you know you just have to be mindful of some of that stuff you you liaise on buildings like that you liaise with like the local council and um you know things like that there's a lot of uh you know things you have to go through before the film uh, to to get it yeah um, and have the right insurance and stuff so, you know, but it's very worth it because, uh, you know, you get this tremendous production value and, um, you know, we had like a, you know, a lot of second unit shots of the castle and wanted to make it like another character in the uh, in the film. Yeah. Know? And it certainly is, I think. And, um, you know, that's how it feels, uh, which is great for us because a lot of the challenges when you shoot low budgets uh, you know, you have to just use, um, you know, economical locations like houses and, you know, some yeah. basic rural outdoor stuff. You don't have a chance to really world build. You know, you don't have the money to and the time to world build as such. So, you know, go into Margham Castle where there's this historical Gothic, you know, vast um, location. It's just built in production value. So, for a low-budget team to, to go to that, it was a great leap up for us. So what's the, what, what's the story behind Margham Castle then? What's the, what, where, what's the plot behind this one? So it's basically a team of American parapsychologists, kind of, um, you know, like the Ghostbusters, I guess. <laughs> um, basically, they, uh, you know, they get sent uh, by the university uh, dean uh, from New York. Uh, to go and investigate Margham Castle because uh, he's trying to pull in uh, a bit more funding, a bit more independent funding. So he wants uh, wants them to do some ghost hunting rather than the kind of mundane experiments they're doing at the university. 
and he gives them an article about um, Margin Castle. Um, the dean is actually played by uh, Gary Kagan, who's um, he was in uh, Star Wars, so yeah. uh, a good name there. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, so he um, he sends uh, this American team to Wales um, to spend the night at Margam Castle to do a bit of a ghost hunt and hopefully come back with some evidence of ghosts so he can attract some funding and uh, they basically go there and it doesn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as happens in films with Holden and the title. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, uh, you know, they go there for the evening and uh, the um, all the ghosts and the things like that are based on real life uh, tales. So, for instance, the most famous ghost at Markham is uh, Rob Scott, who is uh, like the gamekeeper. And basically, um, he's often seen in the stairwell. And, uh, you know, he has an axe. He was uh, killed by this uh, poacher on, on the property. Um, and that's a real-life case. Uh, that's one of the backstories for, like, when they do ghost walks at yeah. Markham, they... Uh, they're always trying to contact uh, Robert Scott. So uh, that's the one who uh, Mads uh, Goodall played um, in the film. He plays Robert Scott. So um, there's a good sequence in the film with uh, his death sequence. And, uh, and then he obviously comes back as a ghost later on. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the ghost stuff is the, the stuff that's based on uh, the real life uh, case. I mean, it's um, you know, it's an amazing building and the history and the you know, like you said, the, you know, the fact you know, the, the hauntings and things that take place there is it's just incredible and just sort of, I'm really excited. I'm really, really excited and looking forward to seeing the to seeing this one. When's it due out? Uh, well, we've got the American release uh, for Margam is the first of September. Uh, so it'll be on like DVD and Walmart and stuff like that, and then across all the American streaming platforms. Um, and then it's lined up for October in the UK, but we're just waiting on a specific date because obviously uh, the retail market in the UK is uh, a bit tricky at the moment. So <laughs> yes, um, yeah, we're kind of waiting on like you know. Uh, getting the supermarket support back up and running and, but uh, you know at that point in the year hopefully everything is um, is a little bit more back to normal retail wise uh, so I think a sensible move to uh, release later in the year rather than now yeah now the next project that you shot I'm amazed at how you were still standing I'd probably be in some kind of uh, corner unconscious by now the fact that you managed to do Jonestown, Margam, and then your, your other project is um, A Killer Next Door. Now, yeah. And just sort of reading some of the stuff around it, it, it it's got a bit of a, like, almost like a Hitchcockian feel to it. Yeah, so it was, um, it's based on uh, the real-life case that the Stepfather franchise is uh, based on, um, which is John List, who yeah. is a, a guy who, who killed his family in uh, the 70s, and then he disappeared uh, for like 20 years and uh, was discovered by a neighbour living a new life, you know, years later, just like nothing had happened. Um, and that was kind of the basis for the stepfather franchise, the idea yeah. that, you know, he wipes out a family and then just moves on and starts a new one. Um, 
but in this case uh, you know we've done it a little bit more like a rear window uh, kind of thriller um, a little bit like rear window or disturbia and yeah body double yeah. so it's very voyeuristic so it's basically a um, uh, a young girl who's a dancer who's uh, broken her leg and uh, you know, so she's stuck in the house, um, which a lot of people can relate to at this moment. In time. <laughs> yes. And um, basically, yeah, so she she's looking out the window at her neighbours and uh, discovers that one of them is this family killer who's still being hunted by the cops from another town. Um, which and it is based on a real life case. The only thing we uh, modified was the age of the neighbor um basically uh so we cast someone younger who was a dancer and had broken their leg and stuff whereas in the real life case it was an older woman um who just happened to be a kind of nosy neighbor who uh, you know <laughs> kind of uh saw this appeal on tv and kind of um you know grasped him in <laughs> So we, we kind of just made it a bit more Hitchcockian uh, thriller. Um, and, and that one's coming out in um, uh, this month, July now, 21st in, in America. And then it'd be a bit later in the year again for the UK. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, you, 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 in terms of sort of, you know, genre, in terms of sort of bouncing from from one end, that's a wide spectrum of stuff. So you've gone from you've gone from the sort of, you know, the sort of true crime of and sort of cult sort of psychological thriller horror of Jonestown to the, the, the more classic gothy um, feel of Margam and then over to like the Hitchcock thriller style uh, of A Killer Next Door. How did how did you manage to balance those things without sort of accidentally blending? Because uh, I must imagine you were editing all three at the same time. Um, yeah. I how mean, did you manage to blend? The, not not sort of stick a gothic castle in the middle of a killer next door. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad with with doing three. We did one year where we made seven films, and they were they were like so so different. It was like. Alcatraz, a prison film. It was like D-Day Assassin, this war film. It was like a Robert the Doll film. Uh, you know, yeah. they were all so different. So, so when we did that year, where it made like seven of them and was headed in or shooting like two or three at a time, yeah, um, I kind of learned to keep them separate. So, uh, last year we only made we only made four films. Oh, only for so, only the uh, four. Not, only the four. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was a bit easier because they were spaced out by at least a month or two. Uh, whereas when we did seven of them in one year, it was like shooting a film almost every month sometimes. So I uh, kind of got used to keeping them separate. But um, yeah, it does. You do have to remind yourself what the tone is <laughs> uh, for each one. I can imagine. Because uh, they via so drastically but um just compartmentalize and kind of get used to it when you've done it for quite a while because you know we've done like 28 films in eight years i think so that's um, impressive man. yeah it's quite uh, I mean, quite a lot but 
given how sort of how you know obviously you've got a very very heavy schedule do you storyboard or do you shot list how do you sort of you know what, what's your approach to that yeah always shot list i mean um early days i did uh, storyboards just for myself um, just to try and work some stuff out but i don't do that now um but i do shot list so <clears throat> basically uh you should always have a plan yeah i think you, you can't shoot stuff on such a tight schedule without everyone knowing what the plan is you can change the plan and you have to because um you have to adapt to changing circumstances uh with short schedules and limited sort of time but um it's, it's always good to have a short list i think um you know everyone has something to refer to then you can work your way through it and i think a real important thing as a director is when i learn to edit um because uh as soon as you learn to edit you you kind of learn what you need to tell a story uh you know or a bare minimum of the story um you know visually and every other which way so i'd always say any any director uh if they can have a, a rudimentary knowledge of uh of editing that's worth a lot yeah yeah i can imagine that's the, it's also a time saver because obviously you, you know you, you know what you can do because i know like sort of you know, john carpenter famously only shoots what he wants to edit what what he's going to use he doesn't do any yeah. extra he famously just shoots just the just enough and then that's it yeah. uh which is risk i can imagine is fairly risky when you're using film but um you know i mean i can't oh, imagine yeah. i can't imagine sort of um you know i how you've done you know, you've the vast amount that you've done without sort of you know obviously having some kind of plan to sort of fall back on now one of the things i noticed uh you've got a really interesting uh project um and it's still on imdb is it's a sort of almost it sounds like an alien abduction movie uh, yeah yeah we've got a, a couple of things in development that are just kind of script stage that uh, you know we're just looking at and that's one of them um the night skies which um is based on a real life case again um of uh this um couple who um years ago in america in the 60s was uh had a bit of a abduction uh, encounter um and so yeah that's just something where we've got at the script stage obviously it was being developed and then um this current situation happened and everything went on a standstill but uh, yeah it's definitely something that uh, we'd like to look at in the future yeah i mean it's it sort of um it's from reading from just 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 what's online um the premise sounds you know i'm a big fan of the film fire in the skies um, yeah, yeah. Which, which still, that I think the abduction scene in that is just terrifying. It's, yeah, it's harrowing. And DB Sweeney is brilliant in that film. Um, so yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of like a good abduction film, uh, a good alien abduction film. I think is, uh, and there's not too many of them about. There's not too many. No, of them that's right. I mean, we we are looking at a lot of um, <clears throat> sci-fi concepts at the moment uh, for the future because. That seems to be doing well, and um, 
horror kind of tends to go in cycles. Uh, so sometimes it's insanely popular, but then sometimes the marketplace gets quite crowded with horror. Mm. So we're advised distributors to look at other genres and sci-fi is often just a, a little step aside from horror it can, it's still in the same wheelhouse sometimes yeah um, particularly with uh, you know some of the more uh, earth-based character sci-fi stories it's it's not a, a massive departure from horror so you know that kind of uh, and we haven't done a, a, a great deal of sci-fi really um if any, really, that are explicitly sci-fi. So we're kind of looking to move into that a little bit more uh, now as well. I mean, if you look at, like, sort of, you know, we look at sort of uh, Coleman, you know, the Roger Coleman sort of uh, catalogue, and he quite quite happily bounced between crime, uh, horror, and sci-fi, and he did very, very effectively, and blending all the genres together. So it's, you know, it's... I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what you guys come up with there. That would be great, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there like me, fans of your film, who are really excited to, see, to hear that and sort of look forward to that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's good to try something different. And the one thing I don't want to do uh, when kind of all this is over is like a pandemic movie or something. Um, you know, I, I know there probably will be a lot of them about. But, well, there's, um, already, there's already been a few now. I think Full Moon have actually released, yeah. um, was it COVID zombies or something? Which, uh, <laughs> Corona <laughs> zombies. But, I mean, that that was very humorous. I thought, you know, that was uh, good fun, really, I guess. You know, and in dark times, it's sometimes important to have, try and have a laugh, you know. Yeah. Um, I kind of understood that one, um, but you know, I, I don't think um, I think people will get quite sick of very serious pandemic movies, even though you know there'll be a few of them about. So I don't want to do that. I think um, it'd be nice to to give people a bit more escapism and you know do do something more fantastical maybe or something more B movie ish, more fun. You know what I mean? It's yeah. uh, I think. I think it'd be nice to to kind of give people some escapism when we get back to making films rather than uh, remind them of a very traumatic time. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I don't think anybody would be in a rush to see a good lockdown movie very soon, would they? No, that's <laughs> for the time it's all over. Yeah, I think escape, I know, you know, I think right there is, is, is escapism is the key, isn't it? Is to being able to sort yeah. of just forget your worries for a little while and sort of... Uh, and have that, have that sort of, have that rest. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keen to uh, have more fun with filmmaking going forward. I think, and hopefully uh, give the audience a bit more fun as well. That's that's fantastic, Andrew. We have been talking for the best part of nearly an hour now, and I know you're a very busy man. So, first of all, is that before we wrap everything up, is there any uh, thing that you'd like to sort of uh, let the fans know where you are on social media or any dates or any important releases that you want to sort of mention now before we sort of uh, we, we tie things up nicely no i think we mentioned everything i'm uh, i'm on twitter uh, a jones filmmaker if anyone wants to follow me i just i don't talk about politics or anything i just pimp the dvds <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of I don't do much there, but uh, we've got a North Bank Entertainment Facebook page as well, uh, post updates there. So 
it's just knowing uh, it's just a good information source for people if they wonder where they can get the films and at the moment in the UK we've got quite a few of our films on uh, Amazon Prime free with subs- subscription so like things like the Bundy film the Robert films um, Alcatraz so uh, if you've got a Prime subscription you can go and watch those uh, for free pretty much so um yeah, so that's it, I think. Well, Andrew, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. I genuinely appreciate it, and it's always a pleasure. And it'd be great to have you back on where we can talk about... Because I know I've got Bad Dreams somewhere on my uh, on the list, on the, the conversation list. So it'd be great to have you back on and maybe sort of uh, talk about Bad Dreams. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Love the film. Mate. It's fantastic. Andrew, once again, thank you, man, for being on. I genuinely appreciate it. You take care now. No, it's great to be here. Thanks, Hugh. No worries. Once again, I want to say a big thank you to my special guest on this bonus episode, Mr. Andrew Jones. Don't forget you can check out uh, his upcoming films. You can find them on Amazon Prime. You can find them in HMV um, and all good DVD stockists out there. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, our time has come to an end on this bonus episode. So we'll be back with a regular episode very, very soon. But until then kind to each other, look after each other and in the immortal words of Count Decula, good night out there whatever you are. Mm-hmm.